part of the Press Play Podcast Network. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Ball Card Show, the sports podcast. For the sports collector. I'm Jason Otero. I'm Gary Lamaster. And as always, we are brought to you by the Press Play Podcast Network. That's it. Here we are. It's time to talk ball cards. You've made it to the right place. Another week and another episode. And boy, are we ticked off. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what, are we, what are we ticked off about? Well, there's just there's actually hobby news, so you have to have a hot take on it. Oh, I thought I had dropped my hot take on TikTok this week. But Gary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on this, and this is going to be a lot of work for you, but I'm going to need you to be opinionated today. Oh, I don't know. Let me see and, if I can and dig deep and find something. Even harder for you is like, I don't want you to worry about what everybody else is thinking as you say <laughs> how you feel about it. <laughs> I'll do my best. Hey, can we start off with a recap? Why don't you go ahead and you highlight a couple cards you picked up in the last week, and then I'll do the same. Man, I have picked up more than a couple cards in the last week. It's been uh, pretty intense from a buying standpoint. Been trying to shift the showcase um, and the table a little bit upwards, uh, not so much focused on the the low to mid-range stuff, not getting into the four- and five-figure cards on a regular basis, but shifting the table average from 10 to 12 bucks to more like 30 to 50 bucks. So that's kind of been a target. I picked up some Jackson Holiday slabs, picked up some Jordan Lawler stuff, trying to start the transition back to being 70 to 75% baseball now that football season is over. So, yeah, I mean, picked up a couple Jackson Holiday slabs, some really cool uh, Jordan Lawler uh, RPAs, not licensed, but just nasty, nasty patches and clean signature stuff. Um, let's see. What else have I snagged? Oh, I snagged a uh, Evan Carter uh, from 2024, one of the Mojo mm-hmm. Pack uh, autos, uh, numbered uh, 199. Uh, Jordan Lawler, PSA 10 to 25. Nice. Uh, Bowman Auto. A Riley Green Tops Chrome update uh, rookie auto to ninety nine. Did I miss 10. out? Did you talk about those X Fractors you picked up? Oh, yeah, you didn't. Because that's really the only ones yet. I cared about. Uh, so these <laughs> walked up to my table uh, on Sunday at the Lancaster Show, and again, you've heard me guys have heard me talk about this before. My like love of this stuff is is well known. The old school Tops Chrome color and refractors and things like that. So I picked up, these are all super low pop, um, a 2007 Topps Chrome Refractor, uh, Troy Palomalu PSA 10, it's a pop one, a 2009 Bowman Chrome uh, X-Fractor Black uh, to 299 uh, Andre Johnson, which is a pop two, and then the exact same card from Larry Fitzgerald and a PSA 10, which is a pop five. Really, really cool cards. Uh, the Palomalu is just a gorgeous, gorgeous card. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, picked up a, a collection. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but the cards I'm excited about talking about. Yeah. Uh, picked up a few slabs. I, actually, I'm looking through it. I bought a little more than I thought. They just kind of all came in every few days. Yeah, that's how it goes. Um, let's go with the first couple because I'm holding a couple slabs right now that are just gorgeous cards. Uh, I've got a 96 top, season's best, Michael Jordan in Fuego in a PSA 9. Yep. Um, I had one for a minute. Sold it pretty fast. Yeah, it'll move quick. It's a great... If you haven't looked that card up, uh, 96 tops, Jordan season's best, in fuego, gorgeous card. And then probably my coolest pickup, which I couldn't believe the price they had, because usually they're right around comps, but they'll work with you a little bit at this shop. Um, 2008 Finest, Brady X-Fractor, Finest Moments, in a PSA 9. This card's actually numbered to 50, and I got it out the door for 100 bucks. That seemed like a steal. Yeah, so there's a super low pop card. It's gorgeous. It's earlier Brady. It's numbered to 50, all the things. A couple PC cards. Uh, picked up a uh, first time I've seen one of these floating around on the Facebook uh, groups that I usually buy from. 85 Tops Tiffany, Eric Davis, in an 8. Um, obviously, the uh, 10 fetches a ton of money. I think 1200 1500 Well, and that card's really clean. It's just got some, the, the color is yeah. not great on it. It's just kind of yellowed out yeah somebody smoked a lot of cigarettes around that card yeah uh up next uh psa now you'll notice this with the a theme i got a little bit into the impersonados that were authenticated this week yeah i saw you uh looking for some of those yeah yeah it's been fun so i picked up the 87 donner's diamond kings eric davis and then hey man i've been doing homework 
so this this prospecting that we've been talking about every yeah. week. I got a few Bowman first in person autos. I got a Jorbit Vivas Mojo first Who autograph. Who has been tearing up spring training? And these are all in blue ink, so they look kind of cool with the Dodgers. I got a Josue De Paula in person auto. Now that's just a Bowman Chrome first. And then I got another Jorbit Vivas, the Royal Blue to one twenty five with an in person auto. I mean. The only other one I'll talk about because the other ones aren't worth mentioning would be a Frank Thomas uh, Tops Rookie Auto. Yeah, 90 Tops. 90 Tops is an interesting set. Uh, it's ugly. Well, but it's just ugly enough that it's kind of cool. Yeah, retro. Like, it very much screams Saved by the Bell. Like, right? Yeah, oh, like, yeah, it just yeah. screams Saved by the Bell. And if you don't get that reference, you're too young to be listening to our podcast. Go watch it and then come back next week. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we picked up a lot. Um, I want to talk through, because we have a lot of hobby news to cover here. Let's start out with one uh, that you had a nice little rant on on TikTok, which those of you listening, if you haven't checked this out, uh, TikTok is up and running. We've got all kinds of opinions, takes, expert advice, and, and we're even doing video updates of the 5K challenge all on our TikTok. Just search the ball card show. You'll find us. You'll find us. Um, let's talk about this stamp fiasco for this first, uh, print or first off the print run. So top series one tells everybody after release, right? This wasn't previewed, right? Correct. Um, Hey, for each card, there is basically a one-on-one, but the point is, is the first one in the print run, right? Which the way sheets work, that doesn't really make sense, but we'll go along with it. Right. Right. It was going to have a foil print on the front left bottom corner. And then on the back side, it would have a one of one. Okay. It would be something that with a foil on the front, you would notice. But honestly, I like the concept because it reminds me of like the team tops, the desert shield, desert storm. What am I trying to say? Operation Desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. different. Remember the foil stance. Yeah, but that, that were, wasn't that wasn't available in regular packs. I understand. Okay. My point is, I that is true to Topps form to do something like that. Okay. Yeah, okay. So that that wasn't out of out of the norm. However, the issue that so many run into is they forgot to put the stamp on the front. So there's a very small press of a one on one on the back of these cards. Most people have probably thrown these in the trash. Very hard to find. Yeah. Well, and what's even worse about it is this. Because it's not an image variation, because it's not on any type of a stock of any kind, here's where it gets sketchy. It is cheap and easy to buy a foil stamp that's the appropriate size and font that says one of one and just stamp the shit out of a bunch of cards. (laughs) I wonder how many uh, one of one first first card of uh, L.A. De La Cruz are going to end up getting sold this year. Yeah. It's one thing after another since Fanatics well, tops. It's well, literally every single release has a major issue. Yo, that's what I was going to say. It's not like that would be the first time there are multiple one on one since Fanatics. Took yeah, over. no, it's it's and it's not just it's literally it's been every single release from Bowman to Tops that they have had a major issue with, and at a certain point, one of two things has to be true: either the people running the show are horrifyingly incompetent which i guess is a chance or and this is where the you know tinfoil hat stuff comes in this is all being done on purpose to generate publicity or they're just trying to do too much too fast maybe but i lean towards that it's being done for publicity think about the bowman chrome stuff right bowman chrome is a product that usually has a real fast burn mm-hmm. right uh, it will sell real well right off the rip, and then within three weeks, yeah. it just tapers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this year, with huge buybacks being offered for the accidentally double-printed uh, superfractors, Topps Chrome went strong for three and a half months, or Bowman Chrome went strong for three and a half mm-hmm. months at retail, like, and, and reorders, and people yeah. were trying to chase those big... Big bo- bounties that Tops basically put what out. What was the stuff. bounty? What, what, what was the amount? Well, some of them were huge. Ethan Salas was fifty grand. Yeah, like yeah. it was huge dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in like in Tops Chrome in twenty twenty two, Tops Chrome came out and it was like, yeah, these five rookies are going to have SPs randomly inserted. Blah blah blah. Well, guess what? They didn't put them in, yeah. and then they had to issue a bunch of credit back. Yeah. And then it was it's every single release there has been an issue. 
And at a certain point, you got to get it together. Like you just, you got to get this figured out. Nobody asked for this new parallel. Nobody knew it was there. You tell people about it after the fact, but you screw it up. Well, and at what point does, (laughs) what point do these types of mistakes repeatedly in products look worse than the greed that we hated with Panini? Because you and I were at the front of the line cheering on the takeover, the lawsuits, the snarky, blah, blah, blah. And we had a few people we knew in the card space that are pretty balanced thinkers that are like, hey, guys, this is good. I understand where you're coming from. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're taking over the corner market here. So they better produce a good product. Um, They've talked about not continuing products and then they've continued them. Um, Our enemy of our enemy is our friend, right? But he will never be my friend. Well, I'm, I'm, that's why, that's why we were so in love with everything fanatics was doing. Um, but it's, it's top series one guys. Like it's not, yeah, it it doesn't, we don't need 50 parallels. Bingo. That's that's the thing. Like they're already cheap paper flagship product. And it already has a decent amount of parallels. Like, the Father's Day and Mother Day and Independence parallel Independence Day parallels have always been very popular. Camo. People like that stuff. We didn't need another one. And if you're going to do another one, especially one that's going to be a chase. Make it look cool. Well, And don't screw up the execution so badly. Just so, so badly. And when you're going to stamp a card, right? When you're going to stamp a card with a foil stamp, here's a crazy idea. Maybe don't put it in the bright white portion on the back of the card where it's almost impossible to see unless it's just directly in yeah. the right light. Yeah, with the current design, you have about six colors to choose from where you're going to lay the foil, yeah. right? <laughs> so so pick one. But I'd agree. That, you know, We don't necessarily need more of those. If you're going to do a chase, I want to feel like it's Willy Wonka and I'm pulling a gold ticket, right? right? This needs to look like something that's a massive hit. The idea behind it's great, but... I mean, can you oversaturate the one of one market in a product? Oh, the, and the so, one of one market's been oversaturated for five years. Well, that's years. what I'm saying. So the card doesn't look different. It's the same image, same border, no variation at all. It's not a refractor. I mean, drop in one chrome, you know. Well, the variation was supposed to be the stamp on the front. That was the variation, and they screwed up the execution of it. And again, it's not. It's not like any of those one of ones are going to make anybody's retirement nest egg, right? Right. Like the biggest ones are going to be two or three or four of the rookies, and they're going to sell for fifteen hundred bucks, twelve hundred bucks. Like, okay, cool. Still, it's a chunk of change on a ninety dollar box, right? Or on a twenty dollar blaster or a ten dollar hanger. The issue is, you have one job. Just. Do do that job. Just that's that's all. Just do the one job you have. Do it right. Do it to the best of your ability, and then people won't lose their minds over this stuff. Like you could argue, there are a few products that, yeah, you should uh, spend some time fixing those. I never felt like flagship tops was a product that needs help. No, it is what it is. Yeah, it sells. Set collectors love it. It's a cheap rip. It's fun. First look at rookies for the year. Yep. Um. You're never going to get rich from it and go on to the next product. But my God, make it right. Yeah. That's all. Just like make it right. Hey, you want to keep complaining? No, I said my piece. Well, no, we got something else to complain about. Uh, What do we got now? All right. This just in, no official report, but confirmed all over what used to be known as Twitter, now X. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) um, Collector's Universe, PSA's parent company is set to purchase SGC. So let's give a brief landscape of the grading market as perceived by collectors universally. So typically, typically, now uh, I'm going to exclude like Black Label and Pristine, okay? I'm just going to speak in generalities here. Okay. Um, When it comes to market value, uh, a Jim Mint 10, okay? Uh, PSA is typically driving top dollar on that. Uh, in the last, you go back 10 to 15 years, uh, BGS would probably be second, although they have... BGS was first. Well, by yeah, 15 by years, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. They uh, they have pretty well tanked at this point. Um, SGC had gained a lot of ground because 
when all the demand and backlogs during COVID happened, SGC was the only company that really started to say, all right, what can we do to get decent turnaround times and not completely rip people off, but it's going to cost money to get these cards graded. SGC had a reputation for a long time with vintage baseball, vintage cards. Um, They've been around a long time. Uh, also known as like the tuxedo of cases. Um, the PSA case has that iconic red-white label, and the SGC is a black uh, border around the card uh, in the in the case. Uh, BGS has tried, uh, was it National a couple years ago? They acted like they were releasing a redesign, and it then they were like, just kidding. Uh, B- but- BGS over the last three years has systemically, and it's hard to not think on purpose, flushed their brand value down the toilet. Yeah. Where do we go from there? So you have a, a few graders that have been like known. Well, like I mean, the big forensic boys, car grading would yeah, be but there, I mean, but the, it's smaller. The, the big boys right now, PSA, technically the number two volume grader is still CSG mm-hmm. and then SGC and then BGS and then everybody else. There's, there's two or three up and coming companies that I think have potential. So tag is GMA still doing them? Oh, GMA. Oh, yeah. They'll do that forever for 10 bucks. Yeah, but they don't have a pop report. And they, I mean, GMA is what they are. Like, I really regret sending off that Brady rookie there. Crack it and send it somewhere I'm else. I'm going to. Um, so GMA is what they are. And they'll be around forever because they're cheap and relatively quick. And you can sell their slabs if you're not trying to like get PSA prices out of them. Like, yeah. if, you, if you get a 10 and you want 20% overall, go nuts. You'll get it. Uh, you're just not getting 3X. Yeah, and... Again, two reasons most people grade their cards. You have two camps, typically. One, people don't really care about the grade. They want to protect the card. That's becoming the minority. It probably is by quite a large margin the minority at this point. But there were a lot of people for a long time that just wanted to encapsulate their cards. This is their collection. They want to protect it. Sure, I'd like to know the grade, but I just want to protect this card that's been in my family or in my collection for a long time. Most people want a grade because the higher the grade, the higher the value. If they can get a 10, then they're hitting the top of the market for that card typically. Um, Now we have this shakeup where as SGC seem to be emerging as a reasonable solution, better customer service, quicker turnaround times, more, more affordable, consistent. consistent grading. Some would argue a little bit more harsh, but I think that consistency is exactly what that means. Right. Um, and now they're going to be bought out by the devil himself, PSA. Yeah, well, and again, I think it is important to note that PSA as an entity is not buying SGC. Collector's Universe, who owns PSA, is also buying SGC. So they will, and from what we're hearing, so when when this first broke yesterday, the source for it, I initially was like, this pretty good chance this isn't real because Darren Ravel's trash. Um, but it ends up being real. Several people that I respect and who I know have ends all over the place said before they would say anything about it, they reached out to both parties, their connections inside the buildings, and the answer is, yeah, this this is happening. So what does that mean? I think that there are a few scenarios here. Scenario number one is that a large corporate entity is telling the truth, that they are going to continue to run both brands independently, nothing's really going to change, blah, 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 blah. I think the chances of that scenario being true are about one in 10 trillion. I've never seen a large corporate structure come in, buy something and not restructure it. Hell, I've been going through it for the last year with my job. So it doesn't, that doesn't seem like a feasible reality. Scenario number two also does not seem like a feasible reality, which is the SGC brand basically will over time disappear and it will all just become PSA under one roof. I don't see that making sense because if they were going to do that, they would have just said that from the rip. What I think in all reality ends up happening, and this is you know a scenario that makes the most sense to me, is that both brands will continue to exist. Both brands will continue to operate. However, they will be tiered and structured so that certain cards get filtered toward SGC and everything else goes to PSA. My guess is that 
just about everything vintage will eventually go to the SGC brand and everything that is not vintage will go to the PSA brand unless you just as a customer insist that you don't want that. Even then, I think that may end up being what happens. I think that SGC may become PSA's vintage arm and PSA will continue to do the modern and ultra modern stuff. So do you think this will have any bearing on let's fast forward a year to two years from now, whatever it's going to be has kind of been sorted out. I have a lot of what were pretty decent cards, but they're ultra modern in an SGC slab. It's a 10. I think we're going to see that spike pretty fast. You think it'll help it? Yes. I, I think that SGC values in the next three days to three months will jump 20 to 30%. Do you think they will do anything with the design of the label? Nope. Why? Because if they go that route, that falls into the category of everything ending up under one roof in PSA's label. Well, my thought is for the PSA family, um, Collector's Universe, will it drive people to resub SGC for that new slab if the mentality is hey from this date on now that it's had this partnership this is what the new ones look like now they have the value of PSA they don't they don't want that they who doesn't they're already so bad they, they're already overloaded but they're sending it off this is going to be their problem with SGC not their problem in California no but what I'm saying is that SGC's value right now in the marketplace is that it is affordable. You don't need a membership and they return your cards quickly, right? That's their value in the marketplace. And I think most people recognize that they're consistent and do a good job grading. If suddenly they are inundated with a half a million slabs for reslabbing, their value in the marketplace goes away. It's just gone at that point because their turnaround times are going to suffer terribly mm -hmm they are just going to be a mess. It's not going to be good. So I don't see that being something that is encouraged. Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure they won't get gimmicky on that, but we'll see what happens. I see what you're saying. Like they can't immediately take a wave of six months backlogs because that's just going to cost them. Yeah. It just so. doesn't help anything. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, we got top series one getting screwed up. You know, we got basically the Illuminati taking over grading. Um, <laughs> next little piece is, uh, you know, this is not confirmed, but it's looking pretty likely that Justin Fields is about to be the next quarterback in Atlanta. Um, it's really interesting, to be honest with you. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I think it's a good mix with what they have offensively going on over there. Um, Do you think Justin Fields might be excited to play in an offense where he doesn't get punched in the face by the time his back foot yeah. hits the ground every snap. I think he'll be excited to not be playing in Chicago. I really yeah. do. Um, and he's from that area. Like, he grew yep, up there. Yep. Um, now, Atlanta is an entertainment town. Chicago is a sports town. There's a difference. No, th there is, but I, I think that Justin Fields will thrive much better in an environment where every single move he makes isn't being examined through a critical lens yeah uh and that offense so people look at that offense and go well i mean well they didn't do much last year listen arthur smith is awful arthur smith is horrendously awful uh and i'm not sure how he got an oc job after getting fired from the head coaching job there but whatever it makes sense he went to pittsburgh where they just basically replaced one trash offensive coordinator with matt canada with you know Arthur Smith, who's going to do the exact same crap. Oh, speaking of Pittsburgh, you had a little bit of a rumor. Yeah, a little bit of rumor floating around that uh, once the Broncos cut old Russell Wilson that he might be headed east. It's an interesting, yeah. interesting fit. And again, we were talking about that too. I saw a blind comparison of resumes over the last two years. Russell Wilson's been way better than you think he has based on what the media tells you about Russell Wilson. Um, but your point was also very valid, which is I don't think that Sean Payton's issues with Russell Wilson are performance-based. I think they're personality and locker room fit-based. Mm -hmm. And as long as Russell Wilson continues to be the Russell Wilson that he's been the last three or four years as a human, he may not fit in, in too many 
in too many lockers. It's the same thing. I have well, this... the good news is he'll get a lot of lunges in all the flights to the different cities to see where he might be. Well, fit. right. But that's the thing. It's like uh, <laughs> we were, I was talking to somebody else about uh, this draft that's coming up, the NFL draft. Oh, the NFL draft. Yeah. I thought, I thought you were going to talk about cricket. No, no. Well, baseball's coming here in a few months, too. So, <sighs> but um, He's so serious today. <laughs> hey, by the way, this is the business. This is the uh, TED Talk edition. We are... <laughs> well, no, so... Looking at the NFL draft, even if the Bears trade Justin Fields, I'm not so sure if I'm Ryan Poles that I take Caleb. Listen, I have I have been somewhat of a supporter of Caleb Williams on a lot of levels as far as the business side of things go. But from for what I have seen from Caleb Williams in the last three to four weeks on his socials, um, from his camp, some of the advertising spreads and things that he's doing, I will tell you, as someone who has been around the game for a very, very long time, that shit ain't going to fly in an NFL locker room. Now, you can say what you want, say what you will. This is not a uh, social statement. This is not a judgmental statement of any type. If you choose to read into it that way, you're putting words in my mouth. But what I am going to say is this. There are not too many NFL teams who want to be led by a guy who's posing in dresses with their fingernails painted in ad spreads. That's just the reality of it. Not too many NFL teams want to be led by a guy who, after a loss on the road where he plays poorly, goes into the stands and lets his mom hold him while he cries. Not too many NFL teams want to be led by that guy. Unless it was like Bobby Boucher. I guess. I'm just saying if I'm – if and, and then you add to that when you actually look at Caleb Williams. You're film, not even going to – so hold on. Why are you grumpy today? I'm not grumpy. I'm, I'm talking about this. Perfect, I give you a perfect Bobby Boucher reference. And you're like, yeah, so anyway, like I was saying, <laughs> my third point. I'm just saying with – so and then when you look at Caleb Williams' film, this is the other part of it. For every spectacular play that he makes – outside of structure there are 10 where he does something terribly stupid there are 10 where he has a clean pocket that he could slightly slide in or step up in and get to a second or third read and he doesn't he bails out of the pocket right into pressure and in college his superior athleticism enables him to a lot of times make something out of that you know who else was able to use their superior athleticism to do some of that justin fields bryce young oh Oh, Caleb Williams is not the same. Caleb Williams, listen, from just a pure football standpoint, and I'm not talking about media standpoint, You, if you want real media personalities who know football's takes on these type of people, go look at Merrill Hodge. Listen to what Merrill Hodge has to say. Listen to what Tony Romo has to say. Listen to what Ryan Clark has to say. Listen to guys who actually played football. Don't listen to Skip Bayless. Don't listen to Stephen A. Smith. These guys are idiots. They just talk for a living. Um. Guys who actually played the game will say the same thing. If you can't operate in structure and get to your backside reads, you're not going to succeed in the NFL. You are not a superior athlete to the 260-pound defensive end who runs a 4-5-40. You're not a superior athlete to that guy who's 6'6 and 260. Bryce Young found out the hard way this year. Justin Fields was a demonstrably better college quarterback than Caleb Williams. He's going to end up being a demonstrably better pro quarterback than Caleb Williams. Yeah, the best quarterback in this draft class is Drake May. It's going to be very similar to what happened last year, where teams are going to fall in love with the ooh ah flash plays, and there somebody's going to take Caleb Williams number one overall, whether it's Chicago or not. I don't know. Chicago may have a crazy devious master plan where they're like, "Listen, we're going to rebuild. We liked enough of what we saw from Tyson Bagent last year to make this trade." And still trade the number one overall pick, mm-hmm. take Bo Nix or J.J. McCarthy at eight, and load up mm-hmm. across the board. So there's a few things that could happen there, but Drake May is going to end up being a superior quarterback to Caleb Williams. Uh, I'm not even uh, uh, 100% sure that uh, Jaden Daniels isn't going to end up being better than Caleb Williams at the end. Why of the are we still talking about this? What was the point? Well, I don't know. You got me wound up, and then I went. Yeah. It's because we weren't going to do baseball prospecting, so you had to do football prospecting. Yeah, I went deep. Sorry. Sorry, guys. There's but my what, take on Caleb but Williams. what was the point? I don't remember. 
the, the point was we were talking about Justin Fields getting traded. So and what's fl- Chicago going to do? Yeah, and what's so. Chicago do? The flip side, though, Justin Fields to Atlanta looks real nice. B. John Robinson's r- legit if he's used properly. Drake London with a real quarterback, pretty legit. Kyle Pitts with a real quarterback, pretty legit. Offensive line situation, much better. Uh, coaching situation, much better. I think Justin Fields could really succeed if this trade goes through. Yeah. Um, okay. You're going out to a big show in the middle of nowhere this weekend. Amish country, Indiana, baby. Shipshawana. So uh, Shipshawana is nationally one of the bigger shows. It's two days, right? I uh, know. It's Well, technically, Friday night's trade night, and then the show's on Saturday. So one thing I wanted to talk about. So you're heading out there. It's a big show. Anybody kind of in the Midwest or people heading to Shipshawana, be sure to look up, Gary. But I want to talk about the differences between these larger shows and then the majority of shows that you do, which are the smaller local ones. So what is the difference between your strategy if you're setting up for a Shipshawana? Um, and then uh, I would like you to talk about buying and selling the differences between a smaller show and then doing a big one like this. Sure. So as a as a dealer, the difference is when you go to this type of a show, you want to have as much higher end stuff as you can. And here's why. These bigger shows, the big online breakers and repack companies send reps out to these shows with duffel bags full of $100 bills and they're going to pay you 90%. They're going to pay 85 to 90% of most recent average comps on just about anything you have that they can stick into a repack product. They don't want your PSA 10 of the guy who's no longer in the league, but if you've got reasonably relevant stuff in the five hundred to five thousand dollar range, there's a very good chance you're going to sell all of it at mm. these kind of shows if you're not being greedy. Yeah. Uh, and then there's obviously the contingent of everybody else that comes to the show, uh, and then you still want to have a decent, you know, amount of other stuff. But that's the biggest strategy shift for me is that I'm taking probably ten to fifteen thousand dollars worth of four to hundred four to four hundred to thousand dollar cards with me. Uh, and I normally, to a small local 30-table show, bring two or three of those kind of cards. And mm-hmm. I don't have any anticipation I'm going to sell them. They're just there to get people to stop at the table. Right. At, at local shows, the majority of what you sell is going to be 100 bucks or less. Like, yeah. that's the vast majority of what you're going to sell. And the sweet spot tends to be 10 bucks to 25 bucks. And if you have a load of that kind of stuff at good value, you'll sell a lot of it at local shows. But most of the guys walking around local shows aren't pulling out five or six grand to, right. to, to buy a big piece for their collection. As far as buying goes, my strategy isn't any different. I've had this conversation with probably eight or nine either somewhat established dealers who have been struggling with their margins lately or with people who are wanting to become dealers. And I will share this piece of advice with all of you that may be in that boat. If you want to be successful as a show dealer... It's not hard to do. It is hard work, but you have to be disciplined. Two things are really important. First and foremost, whatever your PC is as an individual collector, make sure that it is something somewhat random and it's something that people aren't just going to be walking up to your table. Like If your PC is Luka Doncic, if your PC is Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be broke, bro. Because people are going to bring that stuff to your table and you're going to buy it and you're going to pay way more than you should for it because it's your PC. My PCs are Ken Anderson and Ed Oliver. Like, ain't nobody bringing Ken Anderson and Ed Oliver to the table <laughs> it shows to sell to me. So I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So decide what your margins are, what they need to be for you, and then do not deviate from them. Mine are very simple. If it is a somewhat liquid card of somebody in their season and it's worth less than a hundred bucks, I pay 65%. If it's not very liquid, I pay 60%. If somebody doesn't want to sell it for that, I get it. No hurt feelings, no hard feelings. I'm not upset about it. Hopefully they're not either. Um, if it's worth less than 300 bucks, but more than a hundred bucks, I'm going to get to 65 to 70%. If it's over 300 bucks, it depends on what it is. And then it's kind of case by case, but at most shows, most people aren't walking up with tons of over $300 right. stuff. Bigger shows, yeah, but not most smaller shows. <laughs> Stick to those margins. Build in those margins the fact that the market may decrease a little bit. 
That way you're buying and not putting yourself in a position to get hosed. That also means you're going to buy less. That's important to note. You're going to, you know, it's really easy to get excited about bringing home a stack of cards and looking through and being like, oh, 20% of these aren't that great. But overall, I did good. Well, yeah, that that money could have been used towards one really good card. Um, The other thing I was going to point out, I thought you were going to say, is when you talk about larger shows, do not overestimate. Overestimate? Do not underestimate the value in the value boxes. These these uh, dealers that set up eight tables and do a big corner unit, a lot of them have purchased massive collections, and they have a ton of stuff that's in that five to twenty five dollar range in their dollar box because they just want to move as much of that as possible. That's not why they bought the collection, but it will allow for them to have some more margin there and to buy more stuff. So definitely hit up the uh, the value boxes at those larger shows with those larger dealers. Absolutely. Like, again, the national. Plan some time for it. You're not going to be able to do it in five minutes. You have to park. You have to dig. You'll be reaching around to other people. It is a little bit uncomfortable. You're, you know, I'm fat man confession here. Your back gets sore digging through dollar yep. bins if you can't sit down. Well, and and this is a piece of advice that I think I gave to people two years ago, and it's still true. If you're digging through a dollar box, know what you're looking for. At least a rough idea of what the stuff you're looking for is worth, because there are dealers out there that'll have a dollar box, and if they see you comping stuff. They're going to go, wait a minute, Mm. and then they're going to go, wait a minute, well, I know it was in my dollar box, but you just comped it, so let me look it up and make sure that I can sell it for a dollar. Just know what you're looking for. If you don't know whether something's worth buying out of a dollar box, just put it back unless you want to take that risk. It's pretty tough not to know if something's worth more than a dollar. I don't know. You would think, but I also know that I'm in a ton of Facebook groups where we have people who don't know how to use the search function on eBay. So Yeah, it's easier just to ask everybody else. Yeah. If you've been in an accident and your car needs a little TLC, look no further than Newark Auto Body and Zanesville Auto Body. Safe and reliable collision repairs are their business. They are a local, family-run, and veteran-owned business serving the Newark, Zanesville, and surrounding areas. And guess what? They work with all insurance providers to make your experience hassle-free. Plus, make sure to ask about their special discounts for U.S. military veterans. Visit them today at autobodyofnewark.com and autobodyofzanesville.com to get your repair started. Their iCar Gold Class team of skilled collision repair technicians will make your vehicle just like new again. Okay, so let's jump back in to the 5K challenge update, and it's really not a whole lot to update. I have with my Nolan Arenado... Um, tried a few different strategies here one i thought was going to work for sure but it just hasn't had enough traffic there's still a little bit of time but i've posted several different ways and just about all the groups i'm in this card i'm trying to get about 350 for it i've tried to line it i've tried to run bottoms on it i've tried to sell it outright um i've taken it to a local card shop just to see what kind of offer they would make on it i have recently and i think this is not a bad strategy Hopped on Facebook and looked for the uh, fan pages, fan groups, um, official fan club, this or that. But you'll find there's official fan clubs, and then you'll have the official fan club collectibles group. So I was able to find one for Nolan Arenado. It looks like they've moved some really big refractors of his, but it also looks like the page doesn't have a ton of engagement. So I posted something a while back. I have a PSA 10. I took the picture from an angle, the one that I was just like throwing this up to see if there's any interest on. And some sour person that got a PSA 9 on theirs said, oh, it looks like you got the same centering as my 9. Yeah. Uh, now, it's PSA label, so this, it's highly possible that it is the same centering. Yeah, 100%. But uh, it was really a buzzkill uh, for me. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, 60-40 should be 60-40 everywhere. And I just left it at that. Um, but I tried that approach, too. Definitely some people looking at it. But I have not had much traction I know that once the season gets going, it'll move. I really don't want this to be something I'm waiting on for another month, month and a half. Right. And and I'm in the same boat. Like the TJ Watt has not moved yet, although I'm, I feel pretty confident that it can move this weekend. I've had at shows, it's such a card that pops so mm-hmm. much. 
almost everybody that stops at my table for more than to look at the dollar box goes, ooh, and picks it up mm-hmm. and, and looks at it because it just it really does pop. It's one of those cards that it's going to take a, a fan or a repacker to come through and, and snag it. I've got it priced right now at 90% of its one comp, and you know, hopefully I'm able to mm-hmm. move it down the road this so, week. I, mean, it's, it's I want to hear your philosophy on this. Yeah. If you and I are three weeks from now, we're like, okay, now we've given this a month, month and a half. We're gonna have to do this a few times throughout the year. Now I'm stepping back. Yeah, take a step back. You know, sell it for what I paid for it. And oh yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd have to go that far, but I could. Yeah, I could if I can't find the right buyer. I know that at the right show, an Arenado fan's gonna see that because they're not expecting to see that at the show. Right. The the purple being a color match, the Rockies gear, all that. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm hoping to do that cause it's a lot more fun to buy it than it has been to sell it. So <laughs> that's always the case. I'm ready to, I'm ready to move on to I the mean, next that one. May, that's a great transition into what you're dealing with right now, right? Yeah. So, um, are we talking about this collection that I've yes, picked sir, up? Yes, right, sir. Fun so, to buy it. Hard to sell it. Yep. So I've, uh, I picked up a new collection this week. Um, one of my goals has been to be very disciplined, not to buy a bunch of cheap stuff, and to get higher value cards just to kind of upgrade what's in my inventory. For the last two months, I've done a really, really good job of improving that. Two weeks ago, uh, no, last week, I did a thread sale and moved way more cards than I thought I would. Some of my nicer stuff too. It's starting to become a viable, consistent income for me weekly, running these thread sales in different Facebook groups. So I went online to look for uh, some more collections to buy, to buy in bulk. Um, and I went to Marketplace. Now, Facebook Marketplace can be really, really, really rough for cards, especially guys that have collected and they're just trying to dump trash off on you. Um, I saw a box of vintage baseball. Um, they were all in card savers, and it was 68 tops, 71, 75, 78, and then a few others in between there. It's about 550 cards, um, and there's some stars in there. Um, so you have uh, like some Willie McCovey in there, a couple of Nolan Ryan. Had a Munson in there, didn't you? Thurman Munson. Um, uh, Nolan Ryan stuff's about his fifth or sixth year. You know, Went through it, went over to look at this guy's uh, stuff, and it's an hour away. He says he'll hold it. He had a few other lots. So I get into his property, and he's got boxes everywhere. Um and then he's wanting to move everything. And he's just kind of bombarding me with all this extra stuff because he's trying to get more money, right? My thought is I'm an hour away. There's a ton of cards here. If I can get the margins right, I'll do it. So I go digging through. I'm looking through the boxes, trying to take my time. But I can tell pretty quickly none, the majority of these cards are not over $20. The majority of these cards are like 3 to 5 bucks, maybe a few $10 cards in there. But every you know 50 or 20 cards, I would see something that's like, oh, I, that, that could be a little chunk of change. So I end up spending more than double what I was planning on bringing out, and I end up leaving with like eight boxes, a bunch of three-row boxes of stuff. Um, All that to say this, I'm probably 15 hours into comping. You're 20% of the way through, right? Yes, 20% of the way through, and almost all these cards are three to five bucks. Now, for what I paid for it, I'm going to make plenty of money off of this, but my goodness, it is labor-intensive. Um, I wanted to talk for a second about this. When we buy collections, there's kind of an idea out there that you just buy the collection and flip it. What most of us see on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram is an established dealer that already has a social media following that walks up to a table where someone is enamored with who this person is that's standing in front of them. Happens to me all the time. Yeah. And they, they, they offer, you know, you know, Hey, I'm going to give you 50% of these cards. And the guy's like, will you buy more at 50%? Well, sure I will. Right. Yeah. And they work their way up to 60, 65%. Um, and everybody's like, Oh, this is easy. Just go do this at card shows and then you'll flip it for easy money. The reality is most of us that are dealers, whether we're doing shows online, but we've gone beyond the collecting point. We are, we are trying to generate a little money, whether that's to fund our hobby or to make money on the side. Most of us are going to buy collections. And the one thing I want to point out is it takes a ton of work. It's a ton of work. Yes. This is where I'm a nerd though. I have been a serial collector, right? So, uh, records at one point I, I had a paintball, uh, paintball gun and accessory collection i throughout my 
yeah, uh, bottle caps, pogs. Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> what did I say? Oh no 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 no. Yeah, bottle caps, bottle caps. Say so pogs were like I was in a like late high school when pogs. Okay, became a you thing, remember so. those? You, yeah. But so, um, there's always something that I was collecting. I don't. I don't mind the mindless work of a TV show is on and you're going through and you're comping out cards. I'm already through two seasons of Alone on Netflix. <laughs> I have so much more to do. This collection has a ton of like modern and ultra modern low numbered inserts of stars, which is cool. But if you've been in this for a little while, for the most part, you know that that could mean $2 or it could mean 10 or 12. You actually have to look up the variation and it's probably worth the time, but I am buried. Here's my point. You can do this this way, but I deviated from my own strategy. I left my own metrics, which were, hey, you're upgrading here. And I'm so annoyed that I didn't take that same chunk of cash to a card show and do five transactions for maybe five to 10 cards that were of a higher value and I knew would be more liquid. Will I probably come out further ahead on this huge collection? Yeah, but it'll be a year. Yeah, when you value months. your time, yes, it, it's the same. It's the same argument when you talk about grading. Like, is a SGC slab worth as much as a PSA slab? No, but can I cycle five SGC slabs, buy, sell, grade, buy, sell, grade, buy, sell, grade before I get one back from PSA? Usually, yes. So I'm going to come out ahead in that situation. So that's exactly right. Like when you talk about buying collections, if you're out there looking for collections, here's the two things that I would tell you. One, what Jason just said, prepare to work. It is numbing, grinding work. You buy a big collection, eight, nine, 10, three, four row boxes, plan on spending 80 to 100 hours, real hours pricing this stuff unless you don't care and you just go it's all going to just be a dollar a piece and we'll see what happens that's a different strategy you're probably cutting your own throat a little bit there but whatever and it's okay to do that but typically if you're doing that you have a collection where there were a handful of big cards where you knew you were carrying the majority yep. of it and that, that's what i was going to say the other thing you need to do and this is what i recommend to people when they're buying collections it's how i buy collections Show me the 15 best cards that you have in your collection. If I'm buying this whole thing, show me the 15 best cards you have. If they show me the 15 best cards they have in a 5,000 card collection and the total value of those 15 cards is 800 bucks, I'm offering them 250 for the collection. Mm. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no, There's not a world where I can justify the amount of time it would take for me to spend full comp on those mm -hmm. 15 cards now if you show me a card where your top 15 cards are worth four grand well now we're probably where i'm going to offer you 32 31 for your collection i'm going to get you at 75 percent, 78 percent on those big cards and the rest of it's throw in uh, that's what these big buyers do some friends of ours uh bought a massive modern not ultra modern but modern collection that was probably 80 percent jordans they spent 250 grand on it mm. and they've liquidated 10 percent of it and gotten a 40 percent return on their investment so far wow. but they did it based on the 15 20 biggest cards in there there were some autos things like that there's no way they've gone through all of it. No, no way. It'll take them 10 years to go through yeah, all of it. Yeah. Um, and Be a shame if they needed to sell a few yeah, of those boxes. But the, the reality of it is is that if you're buying collections, that's how you got to do it. And if you're trying to sell a collection and you think that you're going to sell the whole collection in one lump sum for 70 or 80% of total comps, there's not a planet where that's happening. You're not going to get all of the benefit of the work the person is buying that's buying the collection from you is going to have to do without having to do any of the work. It's just how it goes. Yeah, the math on mine came out to about 20 cents per card, maybe a little bit closer to 15 cents per card. Yeah. Um, I didn't see much that doesn't qualify for my dollar bin, which means it's probably worth a couple bucks, right? Right. Um, but here's the flip side of that. You know, I'm a newer dealer. I think I would say dealer at this point because it's, it's happening consistently. It's not something I do once yeah. every three months. Um, a lot of my stuff happens online. Uh, however, I don't know a better way to get better at buying than to force yourself to comp all these cards. This is my punishment and my reward to myself. <laughs> but it's a good thing. 
that I love cards because I actually enjoy learning which parallels to stay away from. Which you know, the the fun stuff with collections like this is this one has a bunch of late nineties, early two thousands baseball, and there's some really cool acetate inserts, which isn't a big deal to us now, but they were pretty rare then. Uh, there wasn't a ton of you know like the weird like tops tech um the ionics like just this weird but there are different parallels of that and die cuts from that era that all of a sudden you're like oh i've seen 50 of these in the dollar boxes and they go for 10 bucks each and i pass them up every time right there's no other way you're going to learn than to kind of force yourself to immerse in this so it's valuable for me but in the long run i've got to raise my expectations on what i'm buying right and and again it all depends on what kind of dealer you want to be there are guys who make a living like a i guess legit living is the wrong word to use because it just depends on what you consider standard of living but there are guys who for their primary living set up at shows every week and they don't have a card that's higher priced than 15 or 20 bucks on their whole table right tens of thousands of dime and 25 cent cards and you'll see the same guys at every show sitting down in front of those boxes and spending five hours digging through these dime boxes and building 100 card stacks for 10 Mm -hmm. bucks but when you have enough guys spending 10 to 20 bucks at your table over the course of a show and when you're in those cards for nothing if i'm in a card for 10 cents and i sell it for a dollar from the card for a penny i sell it for 10 cents those are yeah pretty aggressive margins at yeah. scale yep yep it's work but it's work we love yes doing. sir that's it that's the key you gotta you gotta love it you, if you just kind of like the hobby i wouldn't suggest trying to be a dealer you will get burnt out really fast it's not hard it's not hard to do i got nothing else on this me either i we just spent 50 minutes and, and we, we didn't talk prospecting at all. Well, you did have that five-minute NFL tirade. Yeah, but I'm talking about baseball prospecting. Yeah, so true. we will be back with uh, more of the top 100 list next week. Um, we just had some preparation issues this week. Preparation uh, H issues, you know what I'm saying, dog? <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. Thanks. I'm not kidding. I don't want to know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Please stop. Uh, two things real quick before we leave. One, if you haven't yet, please leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. It helps boost our ratings. We have been noticing a little bit of traction, a little bit of an uptick. We're honored. Uh, we've really been enjoying that as well, but we'd like that to continue. And then secondly, our TikTok is up and running with consistent daily content. We'd love for you to engage with us on there. Um, give us a follow. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Yeah, leave a comment. If if you didn't like what we said, leave a comment about that. If you did like we said, if you think I'm ugly, join the crowd. Comment about it. I'm fine with that. And it's quite a crowd. Yeah. This has been the Ball Card Show, the sports podcast. For the sports collector. Bye now. Peace. Peace.